while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and we have another Reasonable Voice as a guest today, Al Durant. And Al, is it Durante or Durant? Normally I go by Durante, but probably originally in the original French it was probably Durant. Okay. uh, I'll I'll answer almost anything as long as people, I know people are talking to me. (laughs) Well, I'll just call you Al. How's that? It really says. That'd be great. In any case, Al Durante is a candidate for Virginia's House of Delegates running in the 54th District. And he is the first Democrat to challenge, uh, I guess, the Republican Party or Republican candidates uh, since, um, gee, I think 1993, is it, Al? It's been uh, 25 years. Wow, yeah. He's had a, a Democratic challenger. He's been in office for 27 years, so. What took so long? What What's uh, happening? Is it is the 54th District of Virginia locked up? Yes. Uh, gerrymandering is a real problem here, as it is throughout Virginia. Uh, Virginia is among, I don't know how, if you want to say the top or the bottom five states. Mm. I'd rather say the bottom five and the most yes. gerrymandered. I mean, so it's the fifth most gerrymandered state in the United States. You know, that that's exactly where I was headed when I read about uh, the 54th District. And, of course, I've talked with candidates before about gerrymandering and and redistricting reform way back to when um, uh, Creek Deeds was on the show a few years ago. It was a, a big thing. So where are we headed with this? Are we finally wising up? First of all, just in case there's somebody out there who doesn't know what gerrymandering is, would you mind explaining it? Actually, that's one of the reasons I'm running. I talked to, I've had the opportunity to talk to both of the 
delegates that serves Spotsylvania. Uh-huh. And they're adamantly, as are most incumbents, unfortunately, they're adamantly, I shouldn't say most incumbents, because I haven't spoken to everyone, I can't get inside everybody's mind, mm-hmm. but uh, certainly uh, most incumbents in the majority party at this point seem to be adamantly against redistricting reform. Yes. And, um, and the thing is, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, the thing is, uh, for everyone, you know, the whole census thing plays to this. We we get the census taken every 10 years, and then that census is somehow twisted into, okay, how do I stay in office as long as possible? So uh, gerrymandering a district usually is, as Al has pointed out, it's the, it's the party in power because they have the power to do it, and they get to draw the district's in a way that benefit the incumbent more than the challenger. Now, that's an overview, it's a generalization, but what do you think you can do, Al, about redistricting reform? Well, there are a number of, of uh, approaches to having redistricting reform. Probably one would be, which is probably a, a uh, one that might be a little easier to pass, Mm-hmm. in terms of incumbents would be to have a set of criteria by which, you know, so, so that the uh, representatives would still draw their own district, but mm-hmm. they'd have to follow a given set of criteria. Now, that being said, the Constitution of Virginia currently describes what a voting district should look like. And I think if you really looked at most voting districts in Virginia and looked at how the founding fathers of Virginia described them, I think you might not see a connection there. Now, now that being being said, Virginia has a long history of gerrymandering. Uh, Patrick Henry was the first gerrymander. Yes. You know, we call it gerrymandering, (laughs) but it should actually be called Henry Mandering. It's true. Madison and Monroe. gerrymandered Madison (laughs) and Monroe, yes. Um, But, I mean, what what we really would like to see is that the districts be drawn by an independent commission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you'd say, and you know, there are different ways you could do that, but uh, One Virginia 2021 has a plan that they're, they have out there, it's sort of their golden plan. Three Democrats, three Republicans, and three independent members. Mm-hmm. And so those three independent members would be people who are you know, independent in their jobs. It's the uh, Auditor of Public Accounts, the State Inspector General, mm. and the Executive Director of the Virginia State Bar. Yes. Two of those are actually approved. They're chosen by the governor, but they're approved by the General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Now, when I mentioned this recently, my opponent said, and actually both of them, I was in a candidate form, and both of the current incumbents said, well, usually we just rubber stamp that. You know, we rubber stamp any of the governor's picks. Mm. But if we think back to the uh, last um, Supreme Court pick that the governor picked and think about the amount of days that that the House of Delegates spent at ease, I don't think he could really uh, make that argument. I mean, that's my personal opinion, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that every appointment by the governor is rubber stamp. Yes. And also, I mean, these are people who are, you know, if you don't believe that these people can be nonpartisan, 
in their uh, in their. I mean, that means you, you're not believing they're nonpartisan in their everyday jobs. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, you know, to think that this would just move it, move the politics further up the line. So, which is the argument that they give when you talk to them. Now, what what's happening? Uh, I mean, I think it's a courageous of you and patriotic of you to be running for House of Delegates in this, particularly in the 54th district. But I'm speaking of, uh, I mean, I know we've been talking about gerrymandering and incumbents and all that, but there are, what, 80,000 residents in the 54th district and and only 60% of them vote, which is kind of like the national average, really. I don't know if that was in the last election. One thing I will say is uh, actually in the 2015, the last time the House of Delegates races yes. were up for grabs, um, well, they really weren't up for grabs because the incumbents weren't challenged. Mm. Well, no, there were challenges, but um, that I, I, there was only uh, of registered voters in the district, and again, this is true in the in all the districts surrounding the Greater Fredericksburg area. Mm-hmm. Only twenty eight percent of registered voters came out to vote. So, I mean, that shows that there's room for some change there you know some people aren't happy people aren't happy with the way the system is you know and currently. i that was my takeaway too if only two percent of democrats are voting that's an awful lot of people who are registered uh, first of all residents and then the registered voters and then the active registered voters but it's a lot of people that are not voting it to me means they don't like what they're seeing or what they're being offered and that's where you come in, yes? Yes, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I, I chose to run because of the response that I, 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 this year I spent a lot of time down in, in Richmond, down at the General Assembly, uh, attending the, the redistricting hearings, the subcommittee hearings. Uh, and that's a problem, too, mm-hmm. is that most of these bills, it's not that they're being defeated on the floor. They're mm. dying in committee. Yes. Mark Cole is the uh, chair of the P- Privileges and Elections Committee. These bills come up to be reviewed before they can go to the floor. And uh, a couple of years ago, if you've seen the uh, Jerry Rigg film, yes. I think that captures it very well. He basically put five totally separate redistricting bills in a block and killed them in like 10 seconds, yeah. even though everybody in the room came out in support of one or more of those bills. Is he re- tell that people across the political spectrum. Exactly. I, well, it's the same in the U.S. Congress. You know, there are a lot of people who, at least privately, want to do something to change things, but these, the leaders, seem to be stopping things in their track before the the decency of, of the human being trying to do the right thing can uh, make it happen. I just There's more than human nature going on here, and, and I don't want to take our, all of your time today talking about gerrymandering, but I, you did make a point I'd like to remind people, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, citizens of Virginia can go to uh, sit in and observe the activities that go on in the the uh, General Assembly in Richmond, yes? That is, that is correct. In the subcommittees, and most of these subcommittee votes are held at 7 a.m., so if you're traveling from outside of Richmond, you really have to be dedicated to one yes. there. And, 
and you know, so so most of these bills die in early morning hearings, which up until very recently were mostly unrecorded. So you couldn't really tell whether or not your particular representative voted for or against mm. these bills unless you were there. Or, and and so and and the reason I'm running is you made a good, good point. It's the leadership of yes. the party. The reason I'm running is I went in and this year I was talking to Delegate Cole and I had to follow him to the elevator to be able to talk to him. But that's mm-hmm. the right there. Um, and then I went in to talk to Bobby Orrick, who's my, who currently holds the seat in the 54th. Mm-hmm. And uh, I um, basically, 15, you know, 15 minutes passed between the two and he told me verbatim, he gave me the same response. Yes. That Mark Cole had given me on a rather mundane bill. Um, you know, it was basically just clarifying language of what's in the um, in the Virginia Constitution. And he told me verbatim the, the exact word for word same response. Mm-hmm. So it was it was more than talking points. You know, it's like, and when I was leaving, he uh, one of his colleagues came in for lunch. I just turned to turned to him and said. Uh, you guys talked outside of this building, and, and, and they both laughed. And, and that actually was the moment I decided to run. Good for you. Good for you. No, it's true. It's true. My wife often asks when she listens to politicians talking, she says, does it ever sound like they all say the same thing? I said, dear, it's a script. I direct television and theater, and I know, you know, when someone's memorized their lines. So, uh, you know... Some of us don't know how to stay on script, as we know, but uh, but I, I would say uh, this partisan statement on my uh, from me uh, that um, the GOP tends to have a united, memorized front, and it takes if someone like you, who obviously has been down there at seven a.m. Uh, participating, paying attention, learning, it takes that to to crack this wall. Anyway, I'm going to move on to something else only because I don't want uh, to shortchange you and all the things that I know are important to you. For instance, what what's happening with schools and SOLs in particular? Are we, are we ever going to get rid of SOLs? We, we don't see the wisdom of that? What? Well, as a, as a former teacher and, and someone who's actually held an administrator, so just get, I, I, I've never taught in Virginia. I talk back. Texas. Uh-huh. I lived in Texas for 17 years. I hope so. Yes, <laughs> I, mean, I know. You know, we, 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 I say we, but um, no child left behind, basically. We had no child left behind in Texas mm-hmm. through George Bush yes. when he was governor long before the rest of America. And didn't work very well there, I don't think. And so, unfortunately, it's kind of where we ended up. And, mm-hmm. you know, we need some sort of evaluation of student learning. But it needs to be an evaluation of authentic learning. You know, yes. all we're really all we're testing now is that is, is a student's ability to take a standardized test. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've been in the classroom not often in my career, and I had a great deal of respect for the principal and and the the uh, guidance counselors. But I watched how the school changed when suddenly it was SOL time. And I, I just thought, what is this about? And what are we, what are we getting out of it? What is the student getting out of it? What is it we ultimately 
achieve with this whole SOL system? You know better than I. You've been on the inside as a teacher longer than I ever was and as an administrator, which I never was. Actually, actually to be clear, I, I actually I received my administrator's certificate and never used it. So okay. Of basically the timing. Um, I love teaching, and but the reason I, I decided to leave teaching was it became so much less at that point mm. about teaching yes. than it was about, well, about teaching to the test, basically. I was an art teacher, so, mm -hmm. you know, that was a little different also. So a lot of the um, attention was taken away from art to put into, basically, yes. teaching kids how to take a uh, standardized test. Yes. But, I mean, the problem is that most students, or most people, once you get out of school, most people at this point are going to change their careers, not their jobs, mm -hmm. but their careers, three to five times in their lifetime. Mm. And, you know, it, it, we can't teach kids road memorization and feel like we've done our job anymore. You know, it's not about the three R's anymore. We need to be teaching in this age of constantly changing technology, we need to be we need to be teaching our students how to learn, how to be lifelong learners, and teaching to the test doesn't do that. We're not teaching them critical thinking skills that they need, that they're going to need to be, you know, successful in life. However, you want to define that, and not everybody is is you know meant or has a desire to go on to college, which mm -hmm. is the other part of it. You know, yes. uh, we need to be putting more attention into junior colleges because, you know, that's a, a less expensive way of, you know, getting your first two years. Um, maybe even looking at ways that we can bring back some some financial aid opportunities for students who can't afford to go to college. Mm -hmm. And this, the thing is, though, is, is we need to, to have certificate programs, things, different, different alternatives areas that, that students can go into to be able to make a decent living. Gotcha. Professional certificates, you know, most most uh, workforce programs in community colleges have varying degrees in terms of time of professional certificates that somebody can go to and, you know, you can get a, a cyber security, you know. It mm -hmm. may, some schools may have a degree, some schools may have some sort of certificate program you can go to. And, and that's a, certainly, as we well know, that's a growing field, uh, especially after the last election, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're going to, on that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with my guest today, candidate Al Durante who is a candidate for Virginia's House of Delegates running in the 54th District. The first time a Democrat has tried that as a challenger since 1993. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And by the way, it's Durante, D-U-R-A-N-T-E, for, F-O-R, V-A, dot com. Stay with us. Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. 
The era of hand-drawn animation for film has largely passed, replaced mostly by computers generating sophisticated imagery. However, watching the triplets of Belleville, one cannot help but wonder. When the foundation of animation is bits and bytes, could something be lost? Here's the story. A grandmother raises her orphan grandson who finds passion in his bike. Grandma becomes his trainer, aiming to win the Tour de France. But during a race, he gets kidnapped. Grandma and trusty dog give chase, aided by ancient jazz-performing sisters known as, you got it, the Triplets of Belleville. The plot, however, is but palette around which swirls a funny, totally original, often cringeworthy delight, and all with next to no dialogue. When Grandma has a blowout, her dog fills in for a tire. Joined by the poverty-stricken triplets, everyone eats frogs, harvested by hand grenade. But we'll stop there. Every moment brings surprising detail. There are simply too many fully realized avant-garde elements for us to share. Just know that when you are looking for the satisfaction of unique entertainment, the triplets of Belleville may be just the ticket. Trust us, you will find this favorite hard to describe. The triplets of Belleville. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today, a candidate for the 54th District in Virginia, Al Durante, candidate for Virginia's House of Delegates, running in the 54th District, the first Democrat to do so as a challenger since 1993. Education clearly is important to Al. We were talking about that as he got off, and but we also talked about he and I both make an effort, maybe he more than I, to be bipartisan. We'll talk to, I, I always say, I'll talk to anyone, listen to anyone. But I wonder in today's political climate, Al, how much you're running into um, people who are saying one thing to you, but uh, clearly are not, well, they're just not right in the conversation with you. Have you run into that at all? Do you have that experience? In terms of talking to voters or talking to politicians? Well, politicians. I, I, think, I, I think the voters yeah, are more honest. I think voters are all more honest. Yes. Um, they may be a little more hesitant to talk to yes. you uh, sometimes, and that's true of both parties. You know, people don't want to put their their you know their ideology out there necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'll I talk to people on both sides of, of, of the aisle and uh, if if it's about actually getting things done whether it's here locally you know I'm chair of the Democratic Party here locally but I've spent lots of time and I think I have a reputation locally of being able to talk to my Republican counterparts and, and you know Republicans on the board of supervisors you know mm-hmm. uh, for instance education is a big issue uh, yeah. here locally and, and funding education um, and for those who, who do work you know to protect our schools and our students and our teachers and treat them like professional mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I have no problem talking to those people because that's what's good for our community not just good for our individual students but good for the future of, of the area yes whether it's the district or the county um, you know with, with the, when we make a budget cut on the local level today or freeze the budget, we're affecting not just this year's teacher salaries or this year's textbook purchases, but we're affecting job 
10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, if we're going to bring local jobs to the community, then we need to have a trained and, and, and a healthy workforce, which is the other part of it. Yes. You know? What what kind when you know when you talk about local jobs and again we're talking Virginia Fredericksburg area fifty fourth district particularly but central Virginia uh, in general how do you define local jobs where where do we need this training particularly right now you're here here locally I say in this area about sixty percent maybe I you know at least more than half of the population working population leaves the county every day to go to work whether it's up in dc or other parts of virginia northern virginia Mm. and while those people are up there in those areas that's where they're spending their money we're basically becoming a bedroom community and the board of supervisors here not to again that's a local issue but i mean i think it's important to the, the, the economic development view of the board of supervisors is to just build more rooftops mm. and so that puts that puts a challenge on the roads puts a challenge on first responders puts a challenge to our schools you know if we're not collecting the money to make to pay those you know and of course that's you know we're just building we're, we're putting more pressure on all of our resources mm-hmm. uh, like our roads and our police and our fire departments and our hospitals and our schools without really benefiting other than you know i mean we're not getting the economic payback gotcha you know we yeah. are we do have some jobs if something you know let's say a grocery store opens a warehouse that is creating jobs mm-hmm but most of the people who are traveling out of the county, you know, they're not coming back and going to the local restaurants. They're not coming back and going out shopping uh, for clothes. You know, mm-hmm. they'll buy their clothes up in Macy's and Alexandria rather than come back to Spotsylvania and shop. Not to give a promo to Macy's. Is this a uh, particular problem with Caroline and Spotsylvania counties? That... It is. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the fact that we are becoming more of a bedroom community is a big challenge. You know, when I lived in Texas for 17 years, I saw a lot of the effects of becoming a bedroom community where mm-hmm. people traveled out of their local communities to, you know, larger cities and towns for jobs and uh, good-paying jobs. So we mm-hmm. need to bring good-paying jobs that fit the environment, that fit our communities, you know, not just to bring in a job, uh, you know, provide a tax abatement to bring in a job mm-hmm. so that you know, we can say we've, we've worked you know. How does the House of Delegates in particular go about creating local jobs that are, if I'm understanding you, there are local needs to be filled? And how do you make that happen? I guess, frankly, renewable green jobs can be done or taught or or promoted in any area as we uh, it seems most are going in that direction but how do you create what you're calling local jobs so people don't because i would imagine people don't necessarily want to drive you know two hours to get to work when they could work walking distance what are your thoughts right that's exactly true uh and and creating jobs to some degree, is a local community matter. But there's, I mean, we've done a lot at the state level, or we've done some at the 
is that we need to provide, I mean, more than providing an incentive to bring jobs here, we need to be able to provide a trained work, a trained and healthy workforce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we don't have, if, if affordable health care isn't available to all Virginians, um, you know, and people are waiting yes. because they can't afford to take a day off from work mm-hmm. uh, to go see a doctor, the recovery time from whatever illness is longer. People miss more work, and and it's costing us all because we're paying. You know, if somebody goes to the emergency room for care. We're paying for that. We're paying for that in higher premiums and our tax dollars. So you know, it's not like that's free to go to the emergency room. Somebody's paying for it, yes. and unfortunately, you know, it's it's everybody's paying for it. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, again through career training, uh, and, and that's the thing, you know, a lot of people think Votech, uh-huh. they used to think about it, it was a place where you went if you weren't going to go to college, if you weren't good at what they call STEM, you know, mm-hmm. science, nice. techno- uh, technology, math, engineering, if you're working because of the change in technology in every field, if you're going to go out and go into a Votech program, you mm-hmm. need to have the background in math. Yes, I mean, no matter what you do, I hear what you're saying, that there is some technical expertise that's required because the world is becoming more digitalized and in every sense right. of the word. Um, well, okay, so I want to talk to you just a little bit about um, Education Secretary DeVos. And since you are so focused on making public schools better and the funding and, you know, finding some solution to SOLs or some, maybe a substitute even. And the standards of quality of both the school buildings, I think, as well as uh, school textbooks and higher paid teachers, all of that I know, these are focuses for you. And as you say, affordable health care for all Virginians. What do you think is the uh, Secretary DeVos' direction uh, as you run for office? It appears to be that uh, we're moving toward supporting what they would call alternative. I guess uh, Donald Trump signed an executive order this year with uh, Betsy DeVos mm-hmm. and my opponent, actually, Bobby Orrick, was up there standing next to him, you know, signed an executive order to, quote unquote, his words, defederalize our mm-hmm. public education system. We can't afford to be taking money from our public schools to Mm -hmm. basically... I've taught in both public and private schools, and Mm -hmm. they both have their advantages and disadvantages, but they're very different. And I don't think we need to be basically... And and this is kind of what I... The voucher system is basically, I think, largely a tax break. Mm-hmm. to people who can already afford to go to school. I think if you couldn't afford to go to a private school, then a, then a voucher isn't necessarily going to be of that much benefit to you. There are certain, there's a certain portion of the population who it will benefit. And certainly there's nothing wrong with having your child go to a private school mm-hmm. if 
that meets their needs. But basically what, what the voucher system will do will remove, you know, when you talk about defederalizing. Yes. Most of the most of the protections that we see in our public schools aren't from um, a state level or state level mandates. Mm. Most of them are coming from the federal government. You know, yes. things like and and so uh, you know, basically by taking that money away, we're not only taking money from our public schools, but taking money from students who are the most vulnerable in our public schools. Yes. Which kind of brings us to social justice. How are we, in the former capital of the Confederacy, I hate to put that particular bias on it, but I think that's a, a reality check as we look around and things that are happening, um, regardless of what one's political position or personal feelings are about statues or people who um, express themselves violent ways against other people, but we are a diverse society and we either learn how to work together and play together to include everyone or there is no social justice how do you how do you feel about are we making progress and particularly in Richmond Virginia I would hope so hmm. <laughs> you know it, it depends I guess it depends on on the day of the week we are I, I, I think many people want to see us move forward in the areas of, of social justice. I think a lot of work has been done. It, it's something we're talking about, so that, 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 mm-hmm. that, that's a real plus, um, that everybody is sort of focused on reforming the, the, the school-to-prison pipeline situation, yes. uh, reforming our justice system so that you know people basically can... I, I won't say everybody is focused because this is a little bit more of a, but basically that we can try to restore the civil rights of people who have paid their quote-unquote debt to society, mm-hmm. which is important. Uh, we need to, I mean, our, our justice system works best when it's rehabilitative and restorative rather than punitive. Yes. So, you know, that's what we need to strive for. Uh, do we always get there again? No. Um, you know, we need to focus more on what's what's right for the people of Virginia that, rather than what's right for people who currently hold office. And I think that's where a lot of our decisions are made on that on that level. Mm. You know, but to be clear, what happened in Charlottesville had nothing to do with statutes. Mm, exactly. I mean, those exactly. were people. Those were people who came for basically came armed for a fight, and they found it. Mm. You know? What do you find when you knock on doors campaigning in the 54th district? What are people saying to you? Because you certainly don't just knock on Democratic doors. So you, right. I, I think I've been pleasantly surprised um, by, I think most voters are willing, unlike most politicians, most voters are willing to, to sort of look across the aisle. Um, I think it was interesting, I stopped and talked to a woman who was sitting on her front front steps with her dog and uh, we got to talking and she turned to me Saturday and said uh, are you a Democrat or a Republican and I said mm-hmm. well I'm a Democrat and I kind of smiled and she she kind of went oh <laughs> 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 and I said, I said well I hope that doesn't keep you from voting for me if you like you know what I stand for yes. and, and 
And, you know, strangely enough, well, not strangely enough, actually, interestingly enough, let's say, there's nothing strange about it. Interestingly enough, we had a lot of the same viewpoints. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, we both want what's best for us, basically, as Mm -hmm. people, as residents of the 54th District. And I think that's what's that's what's important. You know, um, again, you know, I I'm certainly a Democrat. I'm sure the local Democratic committee, but you know, I most of the local politicians will sit down and talk to me. Um, and and our board of supervisors is all Republican at this point. And you know, that being said, some lean further to the right, some lean further to the middle. But it's not about what party you're in. It's about, you know, when, when it's time to take that vote, whether or not you're going to support our schools, whether or not you're going to teach our, treat our teachers as trained professionals rather than glorified babysitters, um, you know, pay them for the, for the work they've done to become trained professionals. Exactly. All right. Today we've been talking to Al Durante, who is a candidate for Virginia's House of Delegates, running in the 54th District, and that's Durante for VA, D-U-R-A-N-T-E, capital F-O-R-V-A dot com. Uh, Al, take us out with something, uh, some final uh, thought you want us to share with uh, those we talk to, those we want to talk to about you. Also, let us know uh, website, Facebook page, how can we get in touch? Do you need volunteers? All of that. Yes, I need all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need volunteers. You know, basically, this, this is a race that largely um, will depend on knocking on doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true of all the races. Yes. You know, we have a number of challengers this year that we haven't had before. And you need to, as, as voters, need to to support those candidates that you feel will serve your needs when they get to Richmond. Okay. And your Facebook page is? Is uh, Durante for Virginia. And my Twitter page is at Durante for Virginia. And you can find me there. And I'm actually thinking about maybe putting up an Instagram page in the last month of the campaign. Very good. Okay, then. All right. right. This has been Grand Al. Thank you so very much. Al Durante, running for House of Delegates in the 54th District of the Commonwealth of Virginia, who um, has made a a good point for all of us talking and listening and including each other. Thank you, Al, for being on the show. We wish you all the very best, okay? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Bye now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. Askar Fahadi is the Iranian filmmaker who brought us a separation. His film, The Past, brings us the same kind of intricate human drama that arguably made a separation into a classic. The Past opens with Marie meeting Ahmad at the airport in Paris. She sees him through the glass with love and joy in her eyes, like long-lost lovers together again at last. 
But Ahmad is coming only to grant Marie a divorce so she can marry her new love. To save money, he will be staying at her place, forcing Samir, her intended, to move out. Meanwhile, Samir's wife lies in the hospital in a coma. Lucy, Marie's daughter from a previous lover, is still fond of Ahmad, her former stepdad, but disdains Samir, and for good reason. And Marie is allowing shallow choices to keep her own happiness at bay. Complicated? You bet. Deliciously so. Farhadi doesn't allow his characters or his plots to be any less complex than those we know in real life. The acting here is superb and the journey is rich and messy and so satisfying. The Past is another classic from this master of matching life's dramatic potential with its frustrating realities. The Past, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. From JFK Cuban Missile Crisis to Trump's North Korea, what works? No parents should have to bury their children. Not the Kennedys, not General John Kelly, not citizens dying of bacteria in their water, nor their 3.4 million fellow Americans still waiting for manna from a demagogue. And not the families of four uniformed Americans who died in the service of our country, arguably because their commander-in-chief tossed Chad into his latest racial and religious travel ban. Despite the rising tide of decent-thinking Americans, it's not easy to remove even the worst of presidents from office. However, for one who personifies the answer to, where is the bottom, he is simultaneously media bait and switch master, inept POTUS, and unempathetic human being. But other deplorable people wielding power indiscriminately may focus America, if not the House. For example... Exposing and repelling Karl Rove, if not Clarence Thomas. Anthony Weiner and Harvey Weinstein, if not Bill Cosby and Woody Allen. Bernie Matoff and Martin Scarelli, if not Steve Bannon and Jeff Sessions. Catherine Harris and O.J. Simpson, if not Pam Bundy and Rex Tillerson. We prove our system of values still works. When towers walling the street house 21st century money changers, denying us reliable representation from state and federal legislatures, then what works is our judgment to trust but verify jurists and generals, making throwing down a gauntlet to General John Kelly's false characterization of Representative Federica Wilson and the all-hat-and-no-cattle snark from an ever and wholly unjustifiable, condescending Sarah Huckabee Sanders, our patriotic duty. Let's not wait for a near-death experience, a slap to our counselor-in-chief past, or another massive intelligence failure in current White House to save affordable health care, public education, the Veterans Administration, and our military from being sacrificed for those who never considered serving in uniform. What works is insisting rapists, liars, bigots, religious hypocrites, fake patriots, gropers, conservatives propelling us backwards, imposters projecting their cokehead sins on our political process, citizens united, voters choosing the greater of two evils, domestic terrorists, non-voters, 
and deserters of civil listening to differing points of view. This far and no further will you come. What works? Living with hearts and minds founded in democratic purpose, believing there is harmony to be made between barroom brawlers at raucous political rallies and church and state, if we respect the independence of each from the other and garner a healthy interdependence with unity. What doesn't work is falling victim to a rerun of might is right, believing power equates privileges with the privileged. No longer shocked by bullies, but awed by vulgarity, posing as though posturing is the new leadership normal rather than an insulting facade. What will keep America working is a people's transformation. Thinking leaders full of curiosity and wonder, whose deeds endorse the value of quality education for everyone without financially profiting the soulless. We need more female millennials in Congress and state houses, respecting the experience of baby boomers but learning from their mistakes. We need the strength of character to accept personal accountability and wholeheartedly embrace reinvigorating change. Realizing inclusive communion requires more than texting, Instagram, and unpresidential tweets. Connection is created by face-to-face -face conversations. For if we can't meet across the table, the wisdom to elect government that reaches across the aisle will forever elude us. There is only one limitation to America's greatness— those who deny that our moral character was compromised the very moment we replaced the art of compromise with 1960s assassinations, the 1970s J. Edgar Hoover hypocrisy, 1980s redundant gossip as news, and the age of Aquarius with rudderless politics reducing patriotism to flag-waving, hate speech, and fear-mongering isolationism. How does Mitch McConnell's the goal here is to win elections in November and keep us in the majority work for you. As Trump works to prove government is the problem, his Niger, I was told, may be his Watergate. America can never be first when great generals dishonor truth, and greatness can never be achieved by an imploding misogynist. One woman spoke up, and a Hollywood titan fell. What ill-equipped, ill-mannered president could withstand the deserved reproach of all women and decent men? What works? Impeachment. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Com website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.